I really, really want more sex from you. I really, really want the feeling of like, I'm in the house and I'm the only thing on your mind and you just want to pin me to the wall. These are scary as shit things to say. It doesn't matter if it's like your pancakes and your flowers or the way you want your sex. Like there's a part that's like, oh my gosh, I'm really sharing what I deeply, deeply want in this part of my life and it doesn't matter what it is it's scary as women and as men too like we've learned to hold that part we've learned to say like well i could only get this my partner has only showed up in this way i could only pick these two three selections on the menu that's it and then we just kind of get quieter and quieter and we don't know what we want and we want less and less Hello and hola friends, welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Our sponsor for this episode is Panacea Financial. As a company founded by doctors, they know how frustrating it can be to work with financial companies, which is why they've created a better way. Have you thought about refinancing your student loans? Well, unlike other companies, the rates you get at Panacea Financial for a student loan refinance doesn't go up because of your credit score, how much debt you have, or your income level. With no loan maximums or cosigner requirement, their student loan refinance is based on the respect physicians deserve and not on a credit score or debt level. Join the growing number of physicians nationwide that expected more from their bank and switched to Panacea Financial. You can visit panaceafinancial.com today for a better way to refinance your student loans. Panacea Financial is a division of Premies, member FDIC. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Lisa Tharler. Dr. Tharler is a board-certified MedPeds physician, community leader, and founder of Under the White Coat, a Facebook community for female-identifying physicians who want to explore their desires, sensuality, and sexuality fully in a radical sisterhood. Lisa is also the loving mother of two brave girls, ages 10 and 8, and a 4-year-old baby boy, and the supportive wife of a freelancer health IT specialist. Please welcome Dr. Lisa Tharler. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us all the way from Hawaii. How is that? I know you just moved there like last month, right? Yes, yes. So we moved from upstate New York and Albany to the Big Island in Hawaii. We actually live four houses down from Waipeo Valley or the Sacred Valley of the Gods for the Hawaiians, where many of the Hawaiian legends are from. (laughs) Wow. And how did you decide to make this decision, this move? (laughs) Well, some people say the island chooses you, um, so that may very well have been true. I think for me, this is, you know, there was many steps of deconditioning, of focusing on what I really wanted, on trusting and being able to take big leaps before this even occurred. But basically, I was looking to transition. I'm three years out of training. uh, And after working COVID uh, in upstate New York only last year, I was ready to fully jump into learning rural medicine. Um, And so the intentionality here, I'm with a great group. Uh, There's, you know, when I'm in the, the, when I'm on call in that hospital, I'm the only physician besides the ED docs, um, which is not really how I functioned at all in an academic residency. Uh, You know, very little specialist support. You have everybody's cell phone numbers, um, but there's one cardiologist for for my side of the island. Um, There's two surgeons uh, and that's it. So, um, you know, no nephrology. So there's no dialysis. No neurology, so you know managing all of that. So that was really the career intentionality uh, was to learn rural medicine and be able to continue or to start to serve indigenous communities. This is part of my like four to six year plan, and then personally just um, wanting that global knowing indigenous people, being able to travel the world with fluency and comfort, and um, 
you know, just I just wanted that experience for my family and my children. I'm kind of quite the adventurer at heart. So <laughs> Wow, that's an amazing mission. Oh my gosh, wanting to know, you know, know and help the indigenous community. I I guess I didn't realize that when you said you moved to Hawaii, it was kind of like you moved to a more rural area and you're gonna be the doctor who knows it who knows who does everything. Yeah. So we're like, you know, I mean, many people listening may live rural. I just have it. You know, I grew up on Long Island (laughs) where Girl Scouts was like, come and make some s'mores and go home Um, to my fellow Long Islanders like, hello. Um, So this is very much, you know, it's spider season and it's 30 minutes to get to the grocery store and everybody knows somebody who has a truck who can help you. Um, You know, I I needed like all wheel drive. I've never downshifted or manual anything in my life. Um, So it is very different. And then, uh, you know, I went to the farmer's market and a guy in a stand was like, by the way, you have mail waiting for you at the post office. Like it's, it's that kind of community. Um, And we've been here, here just a month. So, you know, but I think when you're trotting around three kids, people are are very friendly, very curious. Um, So yeah, it's just been super warm and welcoming. And then yes, the rural medicine piece, you know, learning academic residency as a generalist, there's always a ton of specialist support. You know, some people would say medicine's really turf to specialists. Um, but here, uh, there's, there's very little of that. But again, you have everybody's cell phone number if you need them. Um, and they walk you through what you need to. But yeah, you know, open ICU, all of my own procedures. Wow. And it's your husband just as excited about this as you are? <laughs> Well, you know, I think in in relationships, sometimes you polarize each other or you kind of vibe off each other. So I'm very much the jump in with two feet. I'll figure it out. I'll learn as I go. He's very much more of, you know, I'm the provider. I'm the person who's going to like make sure when the shit hits the fan that, you know, we're taken care of. And so I need to know certain things and I need to plan out and I need information so that I can picture it. Um, So he's very much more of a a slower, more methodical moving train in all the ways he makes his decisions around life and our family. So he was much more a skeptic uh, supporter, a a skeptical supporter. maybe feeling it out. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Well, let's talk a little bit about you, about marriage, about relationships. What I like to ask all of my guests, what your definition of marital interdependence is. That's such a good question for a relationship and intimacy coach, right? Because it, 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 um, it's definitely changed over time. And this is the perfect time for this interview because, uh, as we were talking offline, you know, my husband will be out in, um, eight months and, we've been together for 16 years. So I've now lived, you know, a month on my own. And it's, um, it's really challenged and pushed edges around that interdependence. So, you know, I think there's a natural and a joyous and uh, what we all long for of coming together with this other person. And there's kind of, you know, anything to an extreme, right? So interdependence where you play off of each other's strengths, where you support each other's weaknesses, where you work together and, you know, maybe the things that I completely never want to do is is handled by another person. Um, and I think that that, you know, was how we started in the beginning 16 years ago. And then we got to kind of a middle part where um, maybe the things that I assumed my partner wanted to do, because I just wanted someone else to do them, <laughs> were not exactly the parts that, that he wanted to play anymore. Um, I, so you know, that definition changed. And all of a sudden, the interdependence was, how can I step into what's needed fully uh, for me and for my partnership, um, as opposed to this kind of strength, natural weakness? Like, how can I just step in fully to what's needed for the best of the partnership? And also for, um, you know, the best of my family, we had younger children. And now that we've been apart for six weeks and I find myself doing things, especially with the move, um, really centered around really sexist, like cars and finance and killing the spiders. I mean, it's really shown up in this super um, sexist way that I was like, really, you know, like I'm a physician, I'm kind of badass and I'm still like, oh, I have to do this now. Um, But there's something very freeing about, oh, I don't, I'm not dependent. I don't need 
my partner in the same way that maybe I really did or thought I did. You know, I we met each other in my mid twenties. Um, I now that I'm I'm forties, uh, early forties. How old am I? <laughs> you know, as a mom of three, you have to kind of remember. But yeah, now that I'm in my I'm forty two, now that I'm in this age, I don't need my partner in the same way. Um, it's more of a what do I want and how do we create from that space. So really long answer, but I would say my answer really has changed. And I've really been thinking about it uh, over the last six weeks. Wow, that's beautiful. And he, so he's coming to join you in eight, in eight months, you said? He's going to come out in August. Yeah. And then the kids will be with him for the summer visiting family. And then he'll fly them back out. Ah, okay. So yeah, a lot of a lot of growth there. I mean, over the past 16 years. So let's go back. Let's go back. How did you guys first meet? <laughs> we met, I was, uh, so before I went to medical school, I got my master's in acupuncture and Chinese medicine. I flew out to California. I think I was 21, right after college. Um, and I was doing what many people do, you know, working like three odd jobs and going to school and, and whatever. Uh, and I worked at a beautiful spa and a friend, uh, had a friend and I swear for like years, she was like, I should have you meet my friend. And I was like, Oh, you know, I don't think so. I was in some other really, I don't know where I was. Um, but one day the, the meeting happened. I had gone to China and I had come back and she was having a gathering and it was in Malibu, California. And so it was blue sky and blue ocean. And I walked in and he was in this blue pool with these big blue eyes. And that was it. I was like literally the download of this is the man I'm going to marry. And so I did, so I did what any normal 20 something year old adventurous independent woman would do. I like took off and ran quite shortly after meeting him and talking. <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> like not ready, you know, whatever. Took off and ran. And, um, and then she had to reintroduce us a year later. <laughs> and then it, and then it finally stuck. But, but honestly, I met him and it was like, oh, this is the person you're going to spend your life with. It was like, oh, psh. It was a complete, clear message. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm glad you said that because I did the same thing. I took off and ran for about four years. So Lisa, you were ahead of me. So what was it? So after you, like the year later, how did, why did you fall in love with him? Um, part of it was not, you know how I said the island chose me? Part of it was just like the knowing that this was my human to spend this life with. Um, this was my human. Uh, it was just, it was just like that. So when we got together the following year, oh my goodness, I had so many rules for dating someone in LA. Like I was like, you know, we, we dated, we dated for six months. Like he took me out on a date once a week and we talked, you know, like we really old fashioned dated for six months. Um, and I was not going to have sex, like again, you know, as a sex lover, but I was like, I'm doing it differently. We are old fashioned dating. I'm going to really get to know this person um, before there's all of that, you know, sex and whatever. I'd never done this before. <laughs> My husband was like, great. <laughs> so glad you're adopting this new, you know, paradigm with me. Uh, but we really dated and we really got to know each other. And he was you know, my best friend, we, we spent hours on the phone. We really talked. We talked about our values. We talked about the kind of life we pictured, um, the children we want to have, like that I wanted to roam the earth as kind of like a free range um, animal, as you might say, you know, like we, we really both shared um, what we valued most and what life would be like. We really, you know, connected on that level um, and made sure to really anchor that in. So part of it was just an, an inner knowing, like I literally looked in his eyes and it was, it was done. Um, and part of it was really taking the time to be friends. Okay. And then after, so after you were married, started having kids um, and things, you know, maybe were a little bit more real. Um, 
did you always kind of was were, were there any difficulties any did any of these transitions cause any there was a ton of guilt difficulties so we met in california i was this acupuncturist he was a freelance writer oh my goodness at the time he was interviewing poker he, he wasn't you know he was interviewing poker giants like doyle brennan and his job would be to go to las vegas for 24 hours and party with a poker star and then write it up in poker magazine or to write up travel spas and so we go away for the weekend and get totally comped at some beautiful casino spa like everything so we had this amazing magical dating life and then uh, I was like, hey, I think I need to move back east and go to medical school. We were dating, I swear, it was really like the six, seven month mark. And I said, I, I need to move back east and go to medical school. Um, what percentage of you would consider coming with me? And he was like, oh, 99%. <laughs> and I still think he had no idea what he was getting into. You know, so we moved to the East Coast and we had this beautiful protected time, just the two of us. But all of a sudden we moved to the East Coast. He had to get to know my family and all those dynamics. I had to get to know his family and all of those dynamics. Both of us come from divorced parents. And so there's a lot of complications. And then I was on this path to medical school. Um, and we actually got married on the big Island. Uh, he eloped me in this very magical way. We before leaped, I knew he was going to propose. Um, but he proposed on the plane ride there. We were like in first class seats. It was like very romantic. And then the first day we were going on a tour. Cause that's, you know, what you do when you're come to Hawaii on vacation, unlike me now. And we were late because we were like jet lagged. And I was like, oh, goodness, you know, we got to make this tour. And uh, I'm like, all right, you park the car, I'll run ahead. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm like, you always say that, you know, I'll make sure they know we're coming. And I go there and they give me a big hug. And they're like, congratulations. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, we're late. Like, where are all the other people? They're like, there are no other people. He had he had rented out this ATV tour into the valley where near where I live now with this hapuna and we got, and I was like, oh my goodness. I said I was getting married yesterday when he proposed, but like now it's really it. Like I am now getting married. You know, I had a little white sundress on that he had packed for me. And we got married with this hapuna all in Hawaiian. They blew a conch shell in all four directions. And then on leap day, it was leap day in 2008, we left off a waterfall and then we were married. So we came from, this very magical, just the two of us, like a bubble space. And then we had to learn how to coexist with all the relationships, all of the um, 2009, we got like officially married with family. Um, and four months later, I started medical school. And, you know, then uh, nine months after that, I was pregnant in medical school and pregnant in medical school, you know, two babies in medical school is no joke. Uh, one baby in residency is doubly no joke. Um, so, so, you know, to go from the life we were in to, to working 80 to 100 weeks and all the things that we needed to negotiate and how I learned everything about relationships was by really not negotiating that very well at all. Uh, really thinking that the friendship and the love and the magic was going to hold us and really, really, really good sex was going to hold us. Um, and I really had to build the skills of um, negotiating and conflict and partnership in, in more complicated ways. Uh, when we were the most exhausted, you know, I, I went, I was pretty much pregnant or breastfeeding for 10 years, give or take a few. So. Oh my gosh. So what were some of the techniques? What were some of the tools you learned that helped you through the, like the, the arguments or the difficult times through the exhaustion? Yeah. Yeah. So some of it's like, I couldn't have possibly known. Um, I really started studying. I had, I had studied women's empowerment, but I really started learning about relationships and intimacy because my, my relationship to myself and my marriage was crash burning. Um, when I got pregnant with my third baby as a resident, um, I was exhausted and didn't know it. Although anyone that looked at me probably knew it, but <laughs> I was exhausted and didn't know it. Um, I literally would look at my own face in the mirror and it was like, I didn't recognize myself. You know, I had just gone 
to work and being with my babies for now, you know, 10 years. I mean, our path as doctors is, is so long. Um, no energy left over for myself, no energy left over for my partner, who I basically saw as an extension of myself, <laughs> you know. Um, all of our interactions were transactional. You know, I'm going to do this, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this, you're going to do this. You get them here, I'll get them there. Um, you know, the intimacy and the energy for intimacy was so low. And it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. So all that to say, um, the first step. So so I studied, first I tried to uh, mindset and personal development it. So I tried to just think affirmations, like, you know, you will like be successful, you're gonna, you're, and, and those never worked. And then I read all the personal development books about leaning in and being more confident and how to have it all and be a badass mom. And I would try to adopt these things and it didn't work <laughs> for me, for me, they didn't work for me. They didn't work. Um, and so I came upon embodied coaching, getting into the body Realizing that your body holds truth, your body holds parts of yourself and your stories and your hurt. Because at that point, I was really numbed out. I was really numbed out. Um, I think especially being a pediatric trained and having kids first, those NICU months and those HEMOG months and those ICU months, the emotions you have, and I was always a young mom through all of those, was so intense. And there was no space to feel all of that, right? Like in medical training, even in peds, which is very touchy-feely and warm, there's no space to feel all of that in real time. So I was very numbed out. And so really getting into my body with embodied practices for moving anger, for moving emotion, getting myself to feel in my body again, like what do I actually feel? What do I actually want? that really was center stage. Uh, but without that piece, you know, how can you relate to another human and try to um, explain or negotiate or even know what you have conflict about? You know, everything was very flat for me. Um, so really that was the big turnaround. Wow. Okay. And so, so this embodied coaching, now this is something new to me. Um, do you, I mean, I think I, I've, I started hearing about it um, recently. Is this something like, do you do like meditations, dances? It's different than the, than the chant, the affirmations and like the leaning in you said. So yeah. What does that look like on a, like a daily basis? Yeah. So it's literally moving your body to get in touch with like, what are you actually feeling? Where is it in your body? What body sensations? As a different, you could say it's a different method than coming present. I've, I've talked about this with you know other coaches and I think especially maybe because I came from an acupuncture background and a strong meditation background so it's like the it's like the yin or the feminine to meditation in some in broad strokes you know if you're a meditation expert listening to this it's it's not necessarily a hundred percent accurate but just as a broad model let's say the goal of meditation is to empty the mind to become more present the goal of, of this tantric or feminine embodied practice is to become more full, to feel what you're feeling fully in every present moment. So if you're angry, you let it be fully angry, fully expressed. If you're in grief, if you're in love and you're in ecstasy, the idea being the more you can be as full as possible with emotion and with the moments, um, the more present you can be and the, the more aliveness you can find. Whereas the opposite of that, and again, the practices work together and there's meditation practices that take a little bit of each, you know, so is it super clean the way I'm saying it? Not necessarily, but the idea of meditation is that you sit very still and you let things kind of come in and out and go. This idea is that you really use movement, you use fullness in your body to become completely present and fully alive in whatever's true in that moment. Wow. Okay. And you call this like the yin, the feminine embodiment. Can this be true for both? So both um, males and females can kind of do this. Yeah. So when I use feminine and masculine, which are really like binary kind of old terms, it's, it's so more yin and yang, more opposite kind of pole. So, you know, more opposite, right? So if fullness is one pole, emptiness would be the other, but certainly anybody could use them. It comes from the study of Tantra, which has been studied by men, women, non-binary, you know, there's no gendered, uh, 
need to, to experience Tantra. Tantra is very, very old. <laughs> okay. So this was about, you said you, you started realizing this about like 10 years after med school training, like 10 years in, you realized you didn't recognize yourself anymore. You were going to... When I had my little guy, so this would have been just five years ago, I had studied women's empowerment for a few years before that, done personal development, done meditation. You know, I had, I had been on a path, but really the last five years, I have to think about it. Like, cause my baby is my baby really like, yeah, but that's how old he is. Yeah. <laughs> and how has this affected your marriage? It's transformed my marriage. It transformed me. And so I showed up transformed in my marriage. And then, you know, my husband saw what I was doing. And I just, you know, total shout out to him because it's so I, I you know, many think, times I hear from people, well, why do I have to do all this work? When will my partner, whatever? Um, I did all of this for a long time because I needed it. <laughs> I needed it to mother. I needed it to do my work, to show up as human in the best way I could, to heal and repair and, you know, all that. But my husband saw me doing this and, you know, started doing Mankind Project. Um, so, uh, you know, for those of you that have partners, Mankind Project is an amazing uh, organization for men where they go through a warrior journey. Um, and, you know, my husband did that journey and, and, still talks to, to the men from that uh, every other week in a sacred circle. So he has his own process of, you know, forming an inner yoga stance of being a warrior and, and what it is to be a man in the world, work that's so deeply needed, <laughs> work that's so deeply needed. Um, and then he started studying with some of my teachers. He's actually in a container with uh, one of my um, one of my coaches as well. So he he joined that community. Um, so yeah, big shout out to Genevieve <laughs> and Erotic Blueprint Coach. Yeah, she was, uh, you know, fundamental in, in my learning and growth. And, and now my husband's in containers with her. Uh, he'll be with her for nine months total. And I think he's in, uh, I think he's about halfway, about four, four months in. So he must have been amazed by what he saw you kind of go through to really want it, right? To really jump in and be like, oh, he was total resistance total resistance. He did all the things that uh, everybody says. So yeah, my, my marriage, there's no picture perfect here. I'm, I'm like just raw. He was like, what are you doing? Uh, why are you doing something else that takes your attention away from me and the kids? You already work a lot. You, you know, um, I've never had your energy. Now your energy is going to other places. You're exploring sexuality like by yourself. Like, why are you not doing this with me? Like, what does it mean that you're doing this with women? Like, is this a cult? Like all the, I'm trying to think of what other things, doubts and fears that he had, you know, um, like, why, why do you need to change? Like, why do you need to change? Are you telling me I need to change? Anytime I said to him, I'm reading something interesting, or there's a workshop we could take together, automatic no, automatic no. Um, he, you know, found the, the places he needed to go and the time he needed to go. There was no pushing or moving that man. <laughs> there was no pushing or moving that man. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't have it any other way, honestly. So how do you, how long did it did that take that process take? I mean, because he's is he in that resistance? He said he's not in that resistance stage anymore. He's in your container with you, right? So how long did that process take for him for you to kind of explore this on your own and then him to stop resisting? Probably a few years. I mean, I think there's like you know he went through the very human reaction of. What does it mean if I start doing this? Is there, mm -hmm. Does it mean that I'm broken? Does it mean that something's wrong with me? Especially that, does my wife think that something's broken? Does my wife think? Those are really hurtful things to feel. You know, she's trying to fix me. She's trying to, like, why am I not enough? Just me being me. So it took a while to break through a lot of that conditioning around love and being accepted for, you know, where we are is in our humanity. Um, I, you know, we're all human, <laughs> um, you know, and then the, the comparison, 
you know, she started this three years ago. I'm always going to be behind, like whatever, you know, we, we all have our stories about being left behind or not being loved the way we want to be, just being ourselves, not being enough. So he, and again, you know, I'm imagining uh, he would be able to fully say what it was for him, but I'm imagining that it was around that. And how did you respond? Like, so did he say those things out loud? Like, why am I to, why am I not enough? Why is she start trying to fix me? Sometimes he, you know, him and I both do what, what we do in relationships. Sometimes we say it cleanly and we just tell the other person where we're at. Sometimes we don't and we just get, you know, moody, pissy, pull away. Uh, sometimes we get aggressive and we start fights and then it's like, what are you really doing? And I didn't realize when I started the fight about, you know, like why you're always coming home late that really it's like, you're, you're gone. And, you know, like, so total messy. No, it was totally messy. Yeah. When really it's just a reach, like I miss you. I love you. Be with me. Right. But we just get upset and we just go on. Cause it being vulnerable. Uh, most of us have been taught that it's not safe to be vulnerable, uh, that we'll, we'll be disappointed. Uh, we'll be left. Uh, we'll be rejected. We'll be laughed at if we say, uh, what we really want. Um, even in, in partnership, you know, we all have triggers. We all have stories. We all have um, all of that stuff. Yeah. So, so now, you know, after all these years of all this deep work and embodiment and, you know, the, the yin and the yang, how, how do you guys show up for each other fully now? Yeah. I think we uh, went through a period where we put like our relationship first. Then we went through a period where we put ourselves first, like our own personal work. And I think now we've come to the place where it is no different, um, where our relationship doesn't happen at the cost of ourselves and what we each need. And what we each need doesn't happen at the cost of our relationship, or at least, you know, that's the frame that we are, are working in. Um, so I think both of us know our triggers more. Both of us know, um, I think it's just been like this inner knowing of ourselves better to, to be able to say, you know, kind of what you said, you know, oh, I'm feeling triggered. Uh, that's what this is about. And so we move through conflicts faster. Okay. Yeah. Cause you can realize that you, you kind of recognize it faster. And we've created certain practices. So maybe I'll go to that. There's certain practices that I've learned that we do together. There's things I do on my own. Like he has his groups. I have my women's circles. I have my own pleasure practices. But when we come together, there's certain practices that are fundamental. Um, so one is creating safety in a relationship. So we have, which when I first came across this idea and first introduced it, even to my kids. They're like, mom, you're so hokey. Like it sounds so hokey, but we have like a family bubble, a family bubble. Um, and I forget whose work this comes from. So I apologize if anyone listening knows it, I'll, I'll try to add it in. It's someone's work, but I'm forgetting where this. And the idea is, is that you keep uh, things out of the bubble that are not loving, respectful, um, you could add, and then you could add like a few things unique to the flavor of your relationship. But this is what comes into the family bubble. And so it's everybody's job to show up as that for each other. When someone from the family bubble comes to you, you show up as love, you show up as someone they can trust, you show up as someone respectful. And if you're not in that place, you know that you're operating outside of the family bubble. And so you kind of got to process or do work or take space or say, like, I need some time out of the bubble because the, th when you're in the bubble, this is just like what we do. We show up in this way and we protect the bubble by setting boundaries. So like, are there days where I just want to like, you know, rip his head off because I'm the one killing the spiders and dealing with the tantrums and he's not here, but like that doesn't happen in the bubble. I have to just like handle that part of myself kind of and keep it outside of the bubble. And then I might share it with him or, you know, any number of things, but the family bubble really created this stage of safety to where we know what we're going to get from each other. 
Uh, and it, it allows like for stacked positive experiences. And that's so important when you've been on this downward spiral where every interaction is just transactional or maybe you've been, you know, used harsh words or disrespectful. This was really like a foundation so that we could cut out the kind of snipping that can happen, as you said, you know, when you're exhausted, when you're stressed, when you're parents of young kids, we just kind of like reset. So that was super important. And I love how you involve the kids in this family bubble too. Oh yeah. My four-year-olds will be like the rules in the family bubble. I can't, you know, like he will like go through and there's only like five of them, you know, for him, it's a little bit different. It's like the respect, love. And then it's like, no, no hitting, no hit or else I got to sit, you know, like, because he's in preschool. Um, so it's, it's like age appropriate um, with little nuances. But, um, you know, that, yeah, that was really, really huge. And then the second thing that we do um, is take time every week to share um, fears, desires, or do something called spring cleaning, um, which comes from the school of Mama Gina, which is just holding space for the other person to just kind of brain dump. Um, and then the only uh, response is the other person talks and it's very like containered. Um, so you say, you know, I could use five or 10 minutes to just spring clean on this upcoming vacation we're going on. And so I would just talk about, you know, or homeschooling, let's say, I'm just going to talk for 10 minutes about homeschooling and it could be, you know, no judgment, positive, negative, none of that, just blah, blah, blah. And then he's just standing present with me, listening. And after everything that I say, he just says, thank you. Thank you. What else do you have? What else do you have? And then at the end, uh, he says, thank you for letting me hold sacred space for you. And then he may say, you know, can I spring clean on the fact that you're moving away with the kids for eight months? <laughs> and I would hold that space. Wow. And everything that's said is like a, a toilet flush. So we don't bring it up in other arguments. We don't bring it up for other conversation. Um, we might, that's a separate thing. This is just a complete flush. Wow. And so this is what you, you do with your husband, not with, not with your kids. Actually, I do it with my kids too, but, but um, yeah, this is, this is just a beautiful practice. So I do it with everybody. <laughs> but um, this is something that on the regular, my husband and I do. That and sharing fears and desires um, is, is something we set aside time to do um, and is, has been one of the most powerful ways to bring back intimacy and to not feel like we're ships passing children in the middle of the night, not even just ships passing in the night, but ships passing children in the middle of the night, um, that we're really sharing what's going on with us by really sharing what we're afraid of and then what we really, really want. And it could be what we really, really want in the relationship like that week, or it could just be our own things. You know, I really want this for my business. I really want this for my new job or, you know, really, really sharing um, what we really, really want and then what we're afraid of. Okay. And is this slightly different than the spring cleaning? Like, is the other person allowed to say their opinions about what you want or their fears and desires about your desires? Um, so I keep the desires and the fears separate. So we'll, so we'll talk just about, so this is probably something that we do spring cleaning whenever we need it. Like whenever there's like, you know, the I call them kerfluffles, like the relationship kerfluffles, like something happens and like it's done, but like it's still not okay. There's just like this lingering, like, like, I think I'll just like take my dinner to my room. So when it's like that is when ideally both of us, but one of us will be like, oh, we need to do a spring clean. The the desires and the fears are, that's like more weekly. And we'll, and it, we'll set it up like a date, you know, let's do a desire date and we'll do this for, I don't know, 30 minutes or something or fears, but we keep it separate. We keep the desires and the fears separate. So the desires we feed on each other because it's important to keep it clean. And then the fears is like a separate, and we do it just like dates, like just how we'd set up any appointment. It's like, we'll do this for 30 minutes or something. Okay. Okay. So like a 30 minute date. Now when, so when you're sharing your fears or your desires, whichever one, and if they disagree, are they like, this is what I'm saying. Are they allowed to like disagree or 
So the beauty of the practice and framing it in that way of I'm going to share my desires or I'm going to share my fears is that no one can really disagree with my fears. <laughs> what are they going to say? What's he going to say? You're not really afraid of that. You shouldn't feel that way because you shouldn't yeah. feel that way. Yeah. Like what if your partner's afraid that your desires will mess up the family dynamic, right? Like the move to Hawaii is going to disrupt his life for eight months. That's a really valid fear. But it's your desire. So like you're saying, this is my desire. You're really sharing a part of yourself. What you really, really want, what you really, really most long and hope for in your heart, for a part of your life, for, you know, it could be you know, I this is how I really, really want to decorate the house and I'm hoping and I want to put flowers here and there or, you know, and I want to like learn how to cook with like, uh, you know, Japanese and Asian influence. It could be that feel. It could be like, I really, really want more sex from you. I really, really want the feeling of like, you know, I'm in the house and I'm the only thing on your mind and you just want to pin me to the wall. These are scary as shit things to say. It doesn't matter if it's like your pancakes and your flowers or the way you want your sex. Like there's a part that's like, oh my gosh, I'm really sharing what I deeply, deeply want in this part of my life. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's scary as women and as men too. Like we've learned to hold that part. We've learned to say like, well, I could only get this. My partner has only showed up in this way. I can only pick these two, three selections on the menu. That's it. And then we just kind of get quieter and quieter and we don't know what we want and we want less and less. Opening up desires and it doesn't matter what it is, is a way of saying like, I can be imaginative like a rainbow. I, you know, desires are just that. It's sharing what we want in conversation. So one of the things is that what I say I want, maybe I don't even want that. Maybe I just want to try on what it's like to say it out loud. Maybe when I actually start doing it, I'm like, oh, I never wanted anything like that. You know, like it's not a, it, but it gives this imaginative, deep sharing in a way that's so restorative for, for humans and also for relationships. Because my kids do it so easily. You know, what do you want? What do you want in Hawaii? My oldest daughter's like, mommy, I want you to buy me a pony and I'm going to go riding every day. And there's a part of my adult self that's like, are you kidding me? Do you know how much ponies cost? Do you much how much Hawaii costs? You know, how could you want a pony? That's what we learn as adults. Like we dampen down and we, but kids don't do that. They're just like, I want to play in the ocean every day. I want to swim with dolphins every day. I want to have my own pony. So part of this is rediscovering that with our partner. Like, what do we really want? The deepest part of ourselves and sharing it. When you come from that place, when you come from that place, and yes, it's like nonviolent communication, you're using I statements, you're not using you statements, you have to be clean. So yes, it will trigger your partner. Think of how I just said that. I want you to desire me. I want you to feel like I'm the only person that you could see. I want you to pin me up against the wall. Feel how that feels in your body versus you never initiate sex. You are always ignoring me. You're never going to desire me again. It's never going to be the way it was in the beginning. That's where people get into argument. That's where people get into friction with each other. But just saying what you want and what you're afraid of and completely owning that, and I'll add the word embodying it fully, um, it it triggers a different response in the other person's body. And that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about talking to the animal body of the other human you're with, um, not really their mind. Yes, you have to talk to their mind at times, but we're so much more animal bodied. We're so much more energetic than we give ourselves credit for, especially the way we give our, our men credit for. We think men are somehow not sensitive or dulled down. There's this, you know, but men, you know, they know when, when their partners are happy and lit up with them, they know when you're disappointed and you've been for years and you cut them down and you bring that to conversation. And, you know, uh, we're, we're so much more animal bodied, energetic, our tones of voices, our facial expressions um, say so much more 
than uh, we give ourselves credit for. Oh my gosh, my mind has just been blown. Lisa. Okay. I'm going to have to try this. I wonder if Victor is going to be like, what? Okay. So we're going to do a fear date today or a desire date. This is, I'm, this is okay. I'm going to try this out. Yeah. And then you have to let me know how it goes. Okay. I will. I want to just rein it in a little bit here and talk about, okay. So, cause this is amazing. I mean, this is like totally out there um, stuff that I think, I mean, I, I have not really been exposed to, but I can totally see how this can completely nurture your relationship in a completely different way. How, okay, so let's change the subject here to money, finances, because you did mention at the beginning of the interview how it's like, well, now I have to deal with cars and finances and spiders. How do you talk about money in your marriage? (laughs) Yeah, so it's been very challenging because we've been role reversed. Um, So I was the, you know, I I went from being a med student to being the breadwinner and my husband did the step back to uh, in his career, um, working less hours, making less money to be home with the kids, um, which you know, was so needed for our family and and couldn't be appreciated enough. But it created a lot of tension. You know, I think if talking about sex and asking for things is is risque, talking about money, people just don't do. Um, We're completely silent, like as a society and as everything. Um, So as far as money, you know, it's been really, really challenging, especially in the dynamic of me being the breadwinner. And what does that mean? Is it my money? Is it ours? You know, how how do we blend all of that? Um, And I think we started with really not talking about it and having a ton of resentment build up, very typical patterns where I'm more of the money will always be there. I, you know, will make as much as I want to spend. And he's very much of the save um, you know, building a nest. And so part of it is realizing that he's a nest builder. He likes to see the money add up in accounts and see it go up. I'm not built that way. I like to be on the hunt. I'm like this tigress on the hunt. I like to feel like I have no money in an account. And then I like to go out and get it and bring it home. And like, here it is. That makes me, that does something for me, the going out on the hunt. So we have accounts that I don't really see or touch unless it's like with financial planning meetings. And then the account that I operate on for my spending is more limited, but I will bring in more money through like, uh, you know, other things besides being a physician, I do coaching and other things. I will, I will bring in money more successfully if I feel like I don't have any. So I have my own account for my own spending that I keep very little money in. (laughs) Anyone that knows me knows like if I have to do something, I'm always like, oh, I have to transfer money in and it takes some time, which is good because I, I like, to be thoughtful if I'm really going to spend a large amount. Um, but I like to keep stuff with no money in it. And and that's how I spend. And then I, and then big sums of money come through like coaching opportunities or leadership opportunities. It's really funny how it works. So we operate totally differently. Um, but this is how our, our manage money uh, is all in these nest building accounts that are very kind of maybe more typical. And then I have my accounts that have very little money in them for my own personal spending or for business development or for things that are mine. And it's been through a lot of trial and error that we came across this way. And once I got once I got my own account, many of the things that before were issues, like how much to save versus invest versus it kind of went away. I, I just realized I, I couldn't see any of those things on a regular basis. <laughs> So he kind of decides, okay, we're like the main paychecks go, and then we're going to invest this, save this. But you bring in your, you go hunt for your money. You're, you play with that money, kind of like, yeah. That is brilliant. You figured out that that I'm, yeah, I'm sure that took years to figure out what you guys needed because there's this idea that building a nest is what you want, right? You just put a little bit, and then you watch it grow, and you're supposed to like love that, like look at the compound interest. It makes me think like. We have, I don't know. It's not a motivator for me. For me, the motivator is the the scarcity hunt model. Wow. Okay. I yeah. I've never. Nobody has shared that that sentiment here. How did you figure that? You said. I mean, it took a while to figure out this is what you needed. How can people come to this realization faster? I guess just listening to you. <laughs> I I mean, I took a lot of. Uh, 
a lot of desire courses, a lot of money courses, a lot of, you know, what do I really, what do I really want around my money? A lot of, so a lot of it was deconditioning money, you know? What is it like to receive money that you work hard for? What is it like to receive money that comes to you easily, right? Like like when physicians that are employed move to private practice or move to uh, coaching, you could be like, oh my God, I made $500 doing what? I used to have to, you know, admit and intubate, you know, human, you're like, right? Like, so what happens when money comes in easily? What happens when money comes in through inheritance um, when, you know, from somebody else? Um, what happened, you know, how, how do I feel about receiving? So it's all about building a receiving muscle. Um, and then how does that process work? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that can be hard for people to receive money and feel like they didn't work for it or. We have a lot of ideas. Yeah. Who can I ask money from? I could be, everybody has their own things, right? Like I could only ask money from intimate people. Uh, I could never ask money from intimate people. I could only ask money from more distant business people. Uh, I could only ask money if uh, I make more than they do. I can ask for money. Uh, or I could only ask money of people who make more than me. The, right? Like we all have these ideas about where we can ask and where we can receive. And so I did a lot of work around that to kind of figure out what works <laughs> for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Things are, I have so many, yeah, thoughts. So many questions, answers to your questions now popping through my head. This is beautiful. Well, what what else? Is there anything we haven't covered in regards to medicine, marriage, money, intimacy that you just, any take-home points you kind of want to drill home? Yeah. I mean, I think my last take-home point as far as the marriage and medicine and what I wish I had known, and I don't say that about most things. Like, I think you get the sense of me that I'm pretty much like life is a journey embrace it and be alive. But but the one thing that I wish I had given myself permission for earlier is to put more boundaries around my time and my money and my energy, like to really embrace and not feel the guilt around this is what I need to show up fully as a mother, to show up fully as a physician, you know, still as a hospitalist, I work 12, 13 hours. And so what that looks like which was life-changing, was saying, yes, you know, when I work 12 to 13 hours, I'm unavailable after. I'm unavailable. I'm done. <laughs> There's a book, what is it, the, the, um, the magic art or the life-changing art of not giving a fuck. It's like very like, like, ah, but it really is like, if you give out all your fucks throughout the day, you will have none left. It's just human nature. Energy is, is like that. Your time is like that. Your money is like that. And so realizing when you work and serve as hard as we do in medicine, it is totally okay to say, yes, you know, when I'm on call, I, I'm only available to receive. I, I won't, I'm not going to be that. I've tried so hard to be the perfect wife after being the perfect doctor, then the perfect mom, and then try to be the perfect wife up until I went to sleep just to restart it. I wish I had been more honest and felt more permission to say during these really intense time stretches, I'm all out of fucks. You're going to have to give to me um, and support me. Um, and I will so love that for you. And this is what it might look like. And then it will look like this. You know, that would have been a more honest place than to try to keep giving and giving and giving when I was fully empty and then really judging myself harshly for it. It would have been more honest. So that would be my recommendation as someone who got married a year before med school. And so did this throughout training, throughout residency, throughout attendingship, having kids as a resident when, you know, we had no money to hire help and, you know, it was just the two of us. We didn't really have family support. We did the match, didn't live near family. Um, really being honest about when you're exhausted and realizing that um, that doesn't make you a bad, so many women think, oh, no one will want me because I work. So, you know, like what we do in medicine is beautiful. We give and provide and sacrifice beautiful parts of ourselves. We, we make impact. You don't have to apologize. It gets to be like to be with this medicine goddess. You need to respect my tired recharging times. And thank you so much for doing that. It gets to be that clean. Um, you don't have to, to pretzel yourself the way I did to keep trying to giving when I was really empty. 
Uh, and you know, that, that's really my one, um, permission that I wish I had given myself and realized earlier. Oh, give yourself the permission. Yeah. To stop when you're empty, just stop, stop giving. There's nothing more to give. Yeah. Just start. And to know and tell your partner, you could kind of look at your schedule and then you think, oh, but that's too many days. It's too, just for the next five, for the next five days, I'm not going to be available to hold, to do this with you. And you know what? You will be surprised at how much setting that up front or this month. I'm on call this month. It's going to, your part, you know, your partner will have their own people for support. They will know you, you can negotiate. You know, I am available to receive massages. I am available to stroke your head and have quiet time. I am available for, you know, whatever, whatever like would feel nourishing, but not a, because what happens is when you don't honor those own boundaries, you start to to resent your relationship. It's like one more thing that you have to check off the boxes. Okay, made partner happy. Okay, had sex twice this week. Woo, ha, you know it becomes a checkbox, and and you know no one wants to to be your checkbox. Or my husband would say it's like you're rounding on me. He would say it's like you're rounding on me. Did you eat? Did you pee? Did you have a bowel movement? Or the you know like it, it was literally you know like that. So it's much more authentic. And and then you could fully appreciate uh, your partner and fully appreciate yourself. We we do do such important work. um, And it doesn't take away from anybody else's work, but we do such important work uh, as women, um, especially, you know, I have a fondness for women, but women, physicians, if you're a mother, we do such important work and sending the setting those clear boundaries so that your partner can really give to you in the ways that that only they can because you tell them and it totally hits the spot and you're so appreciative because they've met you in that way you know that's that's to me really what uh what it's all about you know oh my gosh this is so beautiful lisa stop rounding on your partner where can people look you up where can people find you yeah so i have uh my coaching community is under the white coat it's available for really any woman in healthcare, especially physicians that really we have the you know these same issues and so i do uh live recordings um of other guests i come on and i do coaching in that container so so that's the space for for this intimate conversation um and then i have a group called according to dr lisa which is a different space where we talk about uh diverse issues in medicine. Uh, we talk about a varied topics and we talked about menopause, we talked about uh, breast cancer, we talked about COVID, um, but it really is strengthening women's leadership. Um, essentially, the groups are no different. The more intimate you know yourself, the better you are at navigating relationships and what you really want, the more you take that out into leadership. But one is more medicine focused and one is really the internal journey that lets the external be possible. Um, so those are the two spaces I occupy right now. Oh my gosh. Okay. And I, and your round table, I'm so excited to be able to be a part of your round table. Oh my gosh. And after this, I'm just like even more excited. This, you've heard so many new perspectives here that I have, I'm still kind of mind blown right now. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to connect with you and your audience. And these are the things I love most to talk about. So <laughs> By the way, don't forget to reach out to Panacea Financial. Panacea offers loans just for physicians and medical students with low rates, free checking with no ATM fees nationwide, and 24-7 live customer service. Visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to open your account and join a bank built with you in mind. Panacea Financial is a division of Primus, member FDIC. Wow. Oh my gosh, Dr. Lisa Tharler. Thank you so much for coming on. My big take-home points from Dr. Lisa Tharler. Number one, put yourselves and your relationship first. So there there can be seasons at some point in your life, you may need to put yourself first. At another part, your point in your life, you need to put your relationship first. But hopefully the ultimate goal, the ultimate season to be in is when you can put yourself and your relationship first at the same time without sacrificing one or the other. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, that 
That's that's a question I think everybody has to kind of answer individually. What does it look like to put yourself first? And then how can you do that with your relationship at the same time? Homework. Go figure this out. Number two, learn your triggers to move through conflict faster. And this can happen in any part of your life, especially in relationships. We all have triggers when it comes to having a conversation or watching the body language or the t- listening to the tone of our partner's voice, watching them. Something triggers us, right? So learn those triggers, learn to recognize them, name them, not out loud, maybe in your head, name them and figure out how this makes you feel and why. It's not because of what they're actually doing or what they're saying or how they're saying it. It's because of what you're thinking about. So learn your triggers. Then you'll realize how you're feeling. Then you'll realize what you're thinking about it. And then you can, well, you can decide to continue to think about it or let go and move through your conflict faster. Number three, stack your positive experiences. Now, I know we've talked about stacking negative experiences before, how you don't want to do that because that just builds up resentment, which ultimately poisons yourself in your relationship. So work on stacking positive experiences in your relationship. Talk about your dreams and desires inside of your relationship using I statements. Don't blame your partner, but take ownership for your responsibility. Start thinking about all the things that bring you joy and love in your relationship. Stack those positive experiences and you will see more positive in your relationship. Number four, and this plays off number three. So when you open up and talk about your desires in your relationship, use I statements. I want to pin you down to the ground. I want to have more sex. I want to fill in the blank here instead of focusing on what your partner is not providing for you, what your partner is not doing, what your partner is doing right. Because what does that ultimately lead to? Well, that ultimately leads to your partner becoming perhaps more defensive, maybe condemning them, maybe criticizing them. I mean, they'll shut down. They may shut down or they may blow up. They could do either or they could do anything in between. But when we use I statements, we are taking control and we're framing things in a way where our partners actually can hear us and work with us and foster growth and strength in our relationship. And think, you know, we can learn about this from talking about desires, at least from how our small children do it, how small children of your friends, your family, or your own small children do it. Listen to what they say when when you ask them what their desires are, what their wants are. And usually children have no problem saying, oh yes, I want a bicycle. I want a motorcycle for my birthday. I want my birthday to be in May instead of July because July is too far away. I want this, this, and that. They don't think about the consequences. They don't think about what's reality. They don't think about why things can't happen or won't happen or the cost, the monetary value. They just tell you what they want, what they're thinking. You can do the same. List all your desires. Dr. Thurler even shared that you don't even have to hold on to these desires forever. You can try them on, figure out if they work. If day later, if they don't, hey, come up with some new desires. Number five. Oh my gosh. Just so many good take-home points. Number five, put boundaries around work, hours, and energy. These are things you can never, you can never get more hours back. Once your an hour is gone in the past, you're not going to get it back. Same thing with your energy. So put boundaries around these things. Recognize when you are empty and can give no more. Be honest with yourself when you are exhausted. You don't have to work on being a perfect mother, a perfect wife, a perfect father, a perfect mate all the time. When you're doing that and you're emptying your tank, life becomes not enjoyable. So it's, we place those boundaries around our hours and our work and respect them. We can honor ourselves, we can be honest with ourselves and we can recharge, refill, love and connect much more easily. And that is it, my sweet, beautiful friends. I love you guys so much. If this was helpful, if this was mind-blowing as it was for me, because seriously, I have never spoken to somebody about embodiment coaching before, ever. I just love it. Then share, share with a friend, share with somebody who you think would benefit from any of the points Dr. Lisa Tharler shared. 
Absolutely love it. And if you want to work further about beliefs and thoughts and learning your triggers or moving through conflict fast in your relationship, reach out to me. I can help you. This is what I do. I coach women physicians, married women physicians with children, move through conflict faster, recognize their triggers, and ultimately be happier. So reach out to me. I would love it. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, what does it mean? How am I not behind? How am I vulnerable with my spouse? How do I create safety in the relationship I share with my spouse? What does my body language and tone look like? And how does this affect my relationships? How can I set up boundaries around my hours and energy and respect them? And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much for stopping in. And please go spread the love and the embodiment and the desires with your partner, with the world. So much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.